0: Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.
1: Hello and a very warm welcome to Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence's Compliance Clarified podcast. My name is Susanna Hammond and I'm Senior Regulatory Intelligence Expert here at TRRI. In this fifth episode of Series 5, we're going to be looking again at vulnerable customers. Now, by and large, compliance officers are completely used to the concept of vulnerable customers and the need to take additional care to ensure the required consistently good customer outcomes. Now, a vulnerable customer is someone who, due to their personal circumstances, is especially susceptible to harm. Now, all customers are at risk of becoming vulnerable, of course they are, but this risk is increased by having characteristics of vulnerability. Previously, these characteristics have included poor health, such as cognitive impairment, life events such as new caring responsibilities, low resilience to cope with financial emotional shocks, and low cap- capability such as poor literacy or numeracy skills. Now we need to add in to the list of vulnerability characteristics the possible impact of digital transformation. Many financial services firms have leveraged and leveraged successfully digital transformation and deployed enabling technologies in response to the pandemic. But one of the issues for the potentially vulnerable is being left behind by that technological change, particularly when that change has happened at speed. Putting this into a bit more context, firms have always had to accommodate and look after their customers. Treating customers fairly, well-known phrase here in the UK, a focus on culture and conduct risk, a drive for the consistently good customer outcomes have all been regulatory focus over the years. But it hasn't necessarily been a universal success in driving out bad experiences for customers. The other element I would just add into the debate we're about to have is the added challenge that now we're in an age of digital transformation. How do firms keep the personal and the human touch that's needed for vulnerable customers? To help to begin to answer that question and address some of those challenges, I'm delighted to be able to say I'm joined by Lindsay Rogerson and Rachel Wolcott.
2: Hi, both of you. Hello. Thank
1: you as ever for joining in. Um, Lynn, I'll start with you. And and we are in the UK, but this, I think, is a pretty much a global concern just at the moment. Cost of living crisis, by definition, that raises the number of potentially vulnerable and indeed vulnerable customers. What are we seeing?
2: Yeah, thanks, Susanna. So I'm just going to start with a few recent data points, and these are all UK um, data points. Um, but... So in May's UK finance figures, um, they showed that there's almost thirty thousand mortgages in what is termed significant arrears. Um, so I think there was about nine hundred thousand in arrears of one form or another. But the significant arrears is, is a much lower number. It's it's um it's the thirty thousand figure. Still, you know that's a lot. There's thirty thousand people who are. 10, it's defined as 10% of their balance. They're in arrears by more than 10% of their outstanding balance. Um, obviously, we had COVID forbearance measures um, that the, the banks um, had to put have in place. They were unwound, well, they ceased in January. So we will start to see, and UK Finance acknowledge this in their data, that they, they are expecting an uptick in repossessions, albeit from what are quite historic lows. Um, as those cases work their way through the court. Um, We also had um, just today, the citizens advice report on um, buy now, pay later, which showed that um, people are actually using buy now, pay later to, um, when they come to repay it, they are actually using other forms of credit to repay it, which is absolutely not how it is intended to be used. So that's another concern. We've had um, the most recent data from the Financial Ombudsman Service showed um, that an 80% uphold rate on what is called running account credit. So, um, and again, that is something which is targeted at at people who are really um, have very little financial resilience at all. Um, And then just... Just last week, we were told that the annual rate of uh, credit card borrowing um, is now at 11.6%, which is the highest since November twenty. Uh, sorry, 20, uh, 2005. So, I mean, so all that shows is that there is a, a, a we are, in, people are stretched. Obviously, the cost of living, energy, Etc. But there is already a knock-on effect on their finances even before the worst aspects of um, the fuel crisis, for example, kick in, which they're not expected until the autumn. So, um, Rachel, this isn't—you know—this isn't happening in a vacuum. The FCA is is well aware of this, and um, you've been uh, looking at some of the recent speeches from Sheldon Mills, yeah. haven't you? That's right.
0: Uh- just a little bit of background first, uh, for those who aren't familiar with the uh, Financial Conduct Authority's twenty twenty one guidance on uh, treating on dealing with vulnerable customers, uh, that came out I think in February last year. It's on the website, and its work they started, I would say probably around twenty eighteen. So, and it's also something. That with its uh, consumer prote- renewed consumer protection focus, the FCA was very keen to, uh, for people to be aware of. Um, and Lindsay mentioned the COVID forbearance. You know that was all part part and parcel of this vulnerability piece of work. This idea that vulnerability uh, can come in all shapes and forms. You something can happen that change your circumstances, you know, be it COVID, be it a bereavement, uh, be it this cost of living crisis. And that means that companies need to, or firms need to be aware of this and treating their customers accordingly. So just back to Sheldon Mills, uh, he's one of the executive directors at the financial conduct authority. He's made two or three recent speeches signaling, um, FCA thinking about the cost of living crisis and treating vulnerable customers fairly. Um, the, the, we'll put the links to his speeches in the show notes, but what they sh- briefly show is that they are alive to the idea that mis-selling that pro- certain products might not be, uh, appropriate for customers who have been made vulnerable, uh, recently because of the cost of living crisis. Um, so they want product governance to be uh, front and center. Uh, they want you to be careful about your target markets. They have said in no uncertain uh, <laughs> terms in a uh, letter to credit firms saying, please don't aver- You know, send misleading advertisements in- out in public to basically make money off of people who are in a tough situation at this time we can put that in the show notes as well Um, yeah they said do not target customers with inappropriate products they are aware of how this can some products can evolve into problem debt and that that's something that we uh was highlighted in the uh report this morning uh from citizens advice on buy now pay later Uh, what they were saying, what they found was that people were having to take out loans (laughs) to buy off, you know, to um, pay off their buy now, pay later. We've also heard about buy now, pay later in potentially in the energy market. And um, Lindsay and I could talk about this later when we were looking at this a few years ago, saw buy now, pay later for food.
2: For grocery shopping, which was really quite shocking. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. So... Just really briefly, the, what Sheldon Mills has been saying, and this shouldn't be news to anybody, uh, was that the FC expects early engagement and consumer uh, communication with consumers, um, making sure that borrowers are aware where they can get help, um, make them aware of the risks of taking on different types of debt or credit. And they are highlighting early engagement, staff training. Uh, They want you to be able to uh, work with people with vulnerable characteristics and ensure good outcomes um, by tailoring forbearance to individual circumstances. That's pretty much a direct quote. Um, This has been really difficult for firms in the past. Uh, And Lindsay's going to talk in a minute about some of the pitfalls that we've seen um, maintaining this um, uh, fair treatment of vulnerable customers or even having anything in place. But what I would say is what I've heard in the past is that A firm might go in all guns blazing with some fancy new training for, you know, for potentially their call center staff, for example. And what happens is they get support, you know, maybe for six months, then that support goes away and outcomes drop immediately afterwards. Um, We've got a couple of examples of FCA interventions uh, that have happened in the past. So Lindsay uh, can talk you through, talk us through some of those.
2: Yes yeah, so um the 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 two that I would recommend people look at um although there are others and we will put these in the show notes so specifically the Lloyds uh notice uh, for in t- 2017 um which basically the FCA imposed a redress uh, scheme uh, because of I will just read from the notice. Actually, um, Lloyd's acknowledged that when customers fell into arrears, they did not always do enough to understand customers' circumstances to be confident that their arrears payment plans were affordable and sustainable. As a result, Lloyd's has communicated uh, has committed to refund all fees charged to customers for arrears management and broken payment arrangements from January two thousand and nine to January twenty sixteen for those mortgage customers who entered its litigation process during this period this will include any litigation fees that were applied unfairly and Lloyds was also committed also made uh payments for distress and inconvenience to these customers so that was really quite a sizable multi-year redress scheme that they had to put in place because they did not get the vulnerability right for um a particular segment of their customers um there is also um the uh, uh money barn car loans um again n- not uh treating. And of course famously there's the wonga bright house um you know and we've seen the ongoing saga with amigo loans so those are some of the things that have that, you know the, the regulators found um you know firms have fallen down in the past they are well worth reviewing at this time and I'm I'm sure Susanna with your compliance hat on you probably would be digging them out to have a run the rule over them and just check that everything was well exactly and and the point
1: I would make and and it sort of re-emphasizes Rachel's point about the training is this is never going to be a one-size-fits-all I mean, even if you have customers with similar characteristics, they're not all going to be vulnerable or equally vulnerable. You have to have policies and procedures and a risk infrastructure in place that can flex and accommodate and be tailored to the precise circumstances of your customer base. And I think that, I mean, I'm repeating slightly what I said at the introduction, I think that's one of the big challenges with digital transformation, because that's fabulous and it makes you know the mainstream tra- transactions you do so much simpler. Great. How does it handle the more um, vulnerable, the more interesting, the more one-off customer, individual circumstance? Where is the human and the personal touch in your digital transformation program? How as part of your inherent policies and procedures, do you capture, do you identify that somebody is vulnerable? I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily wait until somebody is in arrears. There can be a whole series of other circumstances there, whether they're displaying mental health issues, whether their behavior patterns has completely changed. How are you as a firm capturing that information or even identifying you have that information capturing, doing something with it, and then actually seeking to ensure the good customer outcomes that are a prerequisite in all of this. And I'm not saying any of this is easy because it really isn't. However, that doesn't change the fact firms have got to do their level best to make this happen. And yes, I would suggest actually the Lloyd's case is a very good one to look at. I mean, they were, they got it wrong for seven plus years, that is in, uh, unacceptable on so many levels. You have to keep this under review. And I would suggest right now, post-COVID, cost of living crisis, digital transformation, you weave all of that together. It's a very good time to look at how you're treating vulnerable customers. Um,
0: yeah. You don't want to be making them more vulnerable. I just wanted to, if I may chime in on a Amigo, I think that's a really good kind of fintech example. And there are a lot of these other, uh, fintechs out there. Um, we mentioned the buy now, pay later things. There are, um, other, uh, salary advance th- things that are app based or, you know, online FinTech. Some of these have been, uh, spot, not sponsored, but were in the financial conduct authorities, uh, sandbox program at one point. But the thing with, Amigo, which is a guarantor lender, and there was another one, the Provident, um, that's also run into trouble, is that they were taking people who are also vulnerable as guarantors. <laughs> so they had one customer who was vulnerable, borrowing money, couldn't pay it back, guaranteed by another cu- another person who was equally vulnerable and couldn't pay it back and there wasn't any kind of checking of their of affordability in this case and these are loans that if you believe the advertisements can be made almost instantly they have huge uh, uh aprs and if you all look at the Faws website for data uh, on their complaints data and what's upheld, you will see that on some of these high cost lenders, their uphold rates on complaints are very high, very high. I, I can't remember off the top of my head what it what, what it is for Amigo, but this is basically why they're going bankrupt. Am I to say and it that? was a
1: big driver for why Wonga is no longer in business. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I may be slightly out on this, but I think that APR was 4,000%. It was some oh, it was, stratospheric was, number. Yeah.
2: yeah, it was. But I remember writing an article at the time that um, it was still less than actually the overdraft interest rate the way it was at the time. I know things have moved on. Um and unfortunately that, that particular line got used in their advertising, which was not never my intention. I was t- pointing out that two things are bad does not mean that one should then say that the, I'm better than that one. But um, what, what I did want to throw in is actually in terms of useful guidance for firms this time round, we have moved on in the last decades since the financial crisis um i would recommend looking at the uh, february 2020 persistent debt advice from the fca it was a letter uh, to, to firm credit card firms on how they should um deal with p- uh, customers who are persistently in arrears so that's uh, pers- sorry persistent debt and that was defined as when you're you're you're, you're monthly repayment was not actually covering the interest plus fees, et cetera, on your, on your thing. So there, there is, there's a lot of help. Also I just said about overdraft fees, but they they are very different beasts from what they were, um you know, 10 years ago again. And so there, you know, the, the things have moved on, but you just have to be sure that you are using all of the guidance that is out there from the regulator and, and the, the lessons from the past judgments in, in um in what you are putting in place and the mi that is going to the board i mean the you know the mi to the board on arrears on et cetera, should be you know there should be a real focus on that right now and and through the next period because you know where things go up the fca is going to come looking to see how you're treating those people
1: and i'd add into that i mean i know what we're talking about is very much uk centric and uk focused but this is something that applies universally pretty much it's almost it is jurisdiction neutral i mean whilst the specific mi the specific rules you have to comply with are going to change by jurisdiction the fact we are entering into a cost of living crisis is universal at the moment so if you can if you are not uk based use the uk guidance It is pretty good. It is pretty comprehensive. And it will at least give you a sense of these are the areas in which I need to look. But your regulator, no matter where you are in the world, will be coming out with something sooner or later, because this is something all regulators will end up looking at in the end. And if you can get ahead of that curve as the head of compliance and keep your firm from being the one that isn't fined, that's all to the good, I would suggest. And your customers, one assumes, will be better treated.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Susanna. I just want to touch on one other element that tends to rear its head at times of financial stress. And that is um, shall we politely refer to them as rip-off and exploitation <laughs> merchants that come out of the woodwork? And what I'm talking about here is um so it is these companies that uh, offer loans to desperate people, but particularly where properties are involved. So people are maybe in arrears, they want to get ahead of it, they they Google or search on Facebook or, or whatever, they use a search engine to, you know, they type in sell my home fast. And basically what you get are a bunch of cowboys. And there's no really way around that. Um, and, you know, uh, they're, the, what, there is an FCA statement, which I think we will add to the show notes, um, on a particular firm from the past who did, who did this. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's just it, it, to be aware of, you know, the, 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 the scams that are around yeah. at this time. This
0: one was a, a sale and leaseback scheme, uh, targeting vulnerable elderly people, uh, this was the guy's business. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. I mean, who, who gets into this business is is questionable, but so he did us, did sales and lease back. So he, you know, funded the, took on the mortgage or whatever, and then rented the people, paid him back through rent. Uh, but at, in the 14, uh, deals that he had done, the uh, FCA found that he had not behaved properly and above board in 11 of them. So, you know, it was taking people who were elderly and couldn't pay their mortgage and was putting them in a much worse uh, place. And I think this is the kind of thing that Mills was speaking to, um, in his, in his speech, you know, do not, or, and the FCA has said in their statement about advertising: Do not go after vulnerable people with your exploitative products. Um, I I think that's pretty clear. Ah, uh,
2: Yeah, no, I just want to say. To, I mean, to, to be fair, what we're talking about here is a lot of these people aren't even FCA regulated. I know the the instant we're talking about um it, it was, but a lot of these people aren't. They are out and out scams, and so this is where. I think the sooner we get the online safety bill on the books, the better, because that will take the responsibility to the social media firms. um, And if there's an amendment now to make it search engines as well, um, which would catch Google, which is where a lot of people find these things. You know, I was made aware only recently of uh, you know that Facebook and Gumtree, um, uh, which uh, for those of you who don't know is kind of like a neighbourhood sell things uh, site here in the in the UK. Sort of like Craigslist. Um, it might be elsewhere as well. Yeah, thanks. And um, you know, so there are a lot of rent scams on there. So these are you know uh, students predominantly or immigrants to the UK looking for somewhere to live, and they the, these you know frauds are on these sites. So. I, I don't need to say any more about that. It's it's just the online safety bill. One of the things is actually there will be a, a responsibility and a liability for and and the potential to create like a senior manager type role at tech and social media firms. You know, so they will be held accountable for these frauds that are perpetrated via their sites. And I think that actually will take a huge burden off financial institutions who quite often are on the other end of this because the money has gone from people's accounts.
1: The, the point, I it may worth emphasising there, it will create a personal liability. It won't be the liability of the firm, it'll be the per- liability of the nominated person at the social media firm, the search engine firm, to
0: have taken responsibility for this, shall we say. Absolutely. I mean, it's no secret that there are s- tons of scams on social media and uh, I was at a briefing a few weeks ago, um, given by I think it was the city of London and police, or the, basically the fraud action people, and they were talking about um, frauds that they're that they've been seeing, um, m- noting as we noted before that d- during the COVID um, uh, lockdown we saw a huge surge in fraud uh, targeting vulnerable people. What they were saying, uh, though, which was that they were seeing some new romance scams and uh, perpetrated through dating apps. So this is like the Tinder of of the world, or what I don't know what the other ones are. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'm sure there are other dating d- dating apps. Um, uh, but anyway, so what they'll do is you know target somebody who's Leader looking for love, everybody knows this. Um, and what the city of London police said was that now they're seeing this incorpor- uh, incorporate investments like, not only am I going to love bomb you and love you, uh, but oh, can you, you know, give me some money for a dodgy investment, <laughs> please? And you know, it's, it's really, really sad to see that this goes on um, you know, in our, in our society. Um, another thing I, um, uh, saw recently was, um, that, uh, you know, just another thing for people to be aware of that there is, uh, social media recruiting of people who, to be money mules or aid and about money laundering. And, You know, if people are desperate, you know, potentially they move to crime. But I wasn't I wasn't clear on uh, where that would fall under the uh, online safety bill, uh, who would have uh, responsibility for taking down those kinds of ads. But, you know, they they exist. I mean, there are a lot of like terrible people on social media.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I think I think they would be caught by the definition of harm. In, in 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 the in the bill, I think they would be caught by that. Um, certainly, the expectation is that they would be able to be caught by that. Um, but the other thing about um, the online safety bill is uh, is it will cause the firms to address their algorithms. So, for example, once you've clicked on one of these, say, investment scam emails, uh, investment scam things, and you're on there, the algorithms then put you in front of loads more. And so one of the things that the, the uh, politicians on the Bill Review Committee were keen to do was to make sure that, you know, the firms, if their algorithms could could do that, then they could also undo them or the firms needed to take responsibility for the fact that they were doing it. And I know, obviously, algorithms, um, you know, it, it, it is, it's, it's about more than tech. Algorithms, you know, financial services firms are putting in algorithms and, you know, sort of, so in terms of the consumer, the new consumer duty that's coming in, you need to firms need to be able to make sure that they, their algorithms are not doing harm. Because let's remember the uh the one of the consumer duty things is avoid foreseeable harm. Enable cons because the other two are act in good faith and enable consumers to pursue their objectives. But avoid foreseeable harm if your algorithm causes harm is going to cause is going to cause you grief in the future
1: I and for the um, algorithm point I would recommend people to the information commissioner's office here they've put out some very sensible good good and better practice on both algorithms artificial intelligence machine learning what good looks like equally what bad looks like to be frank so look at those as well I would um picking up on the new UK consumer duty, and this is a slightly unfair question. Is this the panacea for all consumer ills, do we think? Is it going to work? It comes in in the UK pretty soon. So is it... Yeah, we're expecting that... Are we entering, entering into utopia for consumers?
2: Uh, I, I. It would be lovely to think that we were, Susanna, but I, I personally, I mean without giving away my age i this is not my first go around a consumer it's it, it sorting consumers <laughs> in in financial regulation uh, you know as you said at the at the top of this podcast the uh, treating customers fairly you know everybody we've had that you know um I, I it's 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 a it's a worthy attempt let's see how it's implemented um i know there is there is concern um in in some quarters um for example the uh Martin uh, Kopak at the Fair by Design, um, which is deals with financial inclusion charity, he is he has concerns that it will f- f- force firms to actually disengage from some some areas of what of of business, which actually will be detrimental to vulnerable consumers because it will leave them, for example, without insurance is 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 one area where they've done some work. So it's it's very much. Um, uh, let's see. Final rules in July to be implemented. Uh, I noticed in the regulatory grid it's slipped now to it's broader. It's court It was originally April. It's now Q2 2023. So, so let's see. But also, don't forget the FCA is doing this at the behest of the Treasury, who are forced to do this by the politicians uh, in, the, in that. Well, by lawmakers in the House of Lords. Um, so, they will be. The lawmakers will be watching very carefully to see how this goes, um, certainly. Well, I
0: just wanted to bring up uh, another facet of vulnerability, and this is what I would might call the difficult-to-detect or difficult-to-address vulnerability, um, like people who are in coercive situations, uh, elder abuse, uh, people who have mental health problems. Uh, who, as part of that, might not be able to handle their finances and slip into arrears or overspend, that that kind of thing. It's something uh, that the FCA was working on a few years back. They did a tech sprint. They did some um, work uh, with one of the mental health charities trying to figure out how to help people, you know, potentially like tech enabled interventions uh for people who are having, you know, mental health crises or people who were vulnerable and had a hard time managing their money, that sort of thing. And I haven't really heard a lot about that recently. But potentially that'll be something that will come back. Um, go ahead
2: Lynn. yeah no I was just gonna um say that th- this is something that some firms do do very well I you know I I um my background is is a personal finance journalist and I am aware of from that from those days that um it, some firms do this very well they have um uh, measures in place for example where an individual is bipolar and so for a long time they're absolutely functioning well and then they they have a manic episode and you know anyway so in this particular case i'm thinking of that springs to mind um the the bank could see that this individual was trying to purchase a f- and they had the resources to do it but they were trying to purchase a very expensive item and it was a bank because of the way the system had been set up, then alerted um, the individual's partner, who had, you know, was scouring the streets looking for this said individual. They could not find them. They turned off their phone. They were, you know, actively in a manic phase, so trying to, trying, in the, in their eyes, trying to escape. So the point I'm making is, banks can be part of the solution, um, you know, and, and 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 so it's not always bad bank you know that's you know it, it, there are there are some very helpful initiatives in place um it, it, you know it's just banks need to share best practice and learn from what their peers are doing yeah
0: and they also you know i think what i'm getting out of what you were just saying Linz, was that you really need the human touch you need to know your customer and for some firms that's going to be easier than others, um, you know, people always hark back to the golden era <laughs> of the bank manager whom every in town everybody knew knows or they knew all the customers. That 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 ship has sailed. Um,
2: oh, yeah, you say that, Rachel, but some of the best examples of know your customer and being close to your customer and understanding their needs I've ever come across are actually in credit unions, are in the credit union sector. Well, yeah. Uh, where they really you know know them you know uh, you know interact with their customers you know really well, so it's I know it's something that these days you tend to think is only available to private banking customers, but credit unions you know are are good at this, and um you know i I think especially as we're coming at you know the, to go back to the cost of living, in fact, I think they will be invaluable in helping some of their customers through this
0: yeah. I think that's right, and I think the credit unions tend to be smaller as well, which also helps, you know, we really lost, you know, just as Susanna's point about digitization, digital transformation of banking, you know, keeping that human in the loop, I think is really important. Um, when you're trying, when you're having a, a crisis or something's going wrong, you need to talk to somebody who can tell you what to do. give you actual proper advice. You don't want to be put on hold. Uh, You don't want to be shifted to a manager. You don't want to be told to call another number. I mean, it's really difficult. I think one thing that banks could do is make it really easy to contact them either through their app or through a number on the website that's flagged that you doesn't, It's not a, um, you you don't incur a charge for calling it. You know, it's so free to call, um, because that's going to be an impediment for some people. If it's going to cost you 10 P a minute to call your bank to find out, you know, why you're being ripped off, you, you might not do it. And when people are in distress, they want answers. I've seen this before. Um, you know, people walk into a bank branch ask for help they're told to go call a premium line number to get help they're concerned that there's been fraud on their account that's not the way it should be at all and i I think the other thing that banks have been struggling on just to you know change gears a little bit is you know when people are fraud victims you know potentially they lose a lot of money they become vulnerable um right right then and i think there's still this uneasy relationship um with fraud and people being reimbursed for fraud there's a lot of victim blaming go go, that goes on and um people you know you you can't you know double down on that when people are in a tough spot uh you know saying it's all your fault I always say about fraud that if you knew it was coming you wouldn't fall for it you know this is what fraudsters do uh they trick you into parting with your buddy and there's lots of different ways that they do it
1: yeah no thank you both of you I think incredibly interesting and valid points. Moving on, we're, gosh, we're, we could talk a long time on this. So moving on to the takeaways for compliance officers. Um, From my perspective, I mean, to, just I suppose to, to clarify some of the points I've made earlier, not all customers will become vulnerable. I know we have very much focused on vulnerable customers, but not all customers who have vulnerable characteristics will actually experience harm. But they may well have a slightly different set of needs or additional needs, which if the firms don't get their act together on this, could limit the customer's ability to make decisions, represent their own interests, and actually contribute to them becoming vulnerable, which is the last thing anybody wants. So the compliance officer really does need to think through And develop the appropriate policies and procedures that are inherently enormously flexible, are repeatedly trained on, and so that you've got that level of care and ability to have line of sight to somebody who is either vulnerable or potentially vulnerable. And you've got to really get your head around the concept that you need to treat anybody who is potentially vulnerable or vulnerable differently. This is not a one-size-fits-all, and certainly, if you are a firm of any size and you have lots of customers, um, you know. Uh, previously, I was head of retail regulatory risk at dear old H. Boss. We had twenty-two million retail customers. That's a lot of retail customers to consider whether or not they're vulnerable. It it is not the easiest thing, but it is absolutely essential. Rachel, takeaways from your perspective.
0: Well. I would say with the, you know, coming out of the COVID crisis, uh, and going straight into the cost of living crisis, uh, add to that, this huge boom in fraud that this issue of vulnerability isn't getting easier. Um, like I was saying before, I feel like this really needs a personal touch. And like you said, you don't want to make your customers more vulnerable than they already are. Uh, you, the We talked earlier about the Lloyd's fine and the money barn fine. The lesson here is that if you do not treat your customers fairly, when they are in trouble, you will be fined for that. And it, you will have to make it right eventually. So like we said earlier, you know, why don't you put some effort doing it right the first time around. I think this takes a lot of empathy. I think that people need to change their headset out of this idea that your customers are kind of, I don't know, somehow in on it or to blame this victim blaming point that I brought up before. I I think that can be really difficult, especially if you're trying to get people off the phone, you know, within a certain amount of time and, you know, plow through lots of different phone calls. So maybe you need to call, hire more call center staff who are well-trained. Um, my last point would be that you need anybody who has any questions. Uh, the UK finance uh, body has a vulnerability academy. So they're doing, they've been doing training on this for a few years. Um, I'm sure they would love to hear from you. Rachel, thank you very much. And Linz?
2: Oh, I will be short and sweet. It's uh, learn the lessons from the past, review those decision notices that we've mentioned and will be in the show notes and just do better this time around. Gosh,
1: very wise advice, slightly harder to do in practice. Um, Thank you, Rachel and Linz, as ever, brilliant uh, conversation. And thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Clarified. Do hope you found it both interesting and useful. As mentioned throughout, lots of links will be dropped into the episode notes, and I'll include the usual link for further information on Thomson Reuters regulatory intelligence. We'd very much appreciate it if you take the time to review the podcast and do let us know for any suggestions for future topics. Thanks again for listening.
0: Compliance Clarified, a podcast by Thomson Reuters Regulatory Intelligence.